It's Friday the 13th, and YouTube, they tried to stop me, the gremlins of bad luck. But here I am. Yeah, here I am. And you've managed to make it here for the highlight of civilization, the best thing that's ever happened to you in your whole damn life. And if you'd like to take it up a notch, and I think we all need that because it's Friday the 13th, which I will reframe in a moment, all you need is a cup or a mug or a glass, a tank or a chalice or stein, a canteen jug or a flask, a vessel of any kind. Fill it with your favorite liquid. I like coffee. And join me now for the unparalleled pleasure the dopamine of the day thing makes everything better, including Friday the 13th. It happens now. Go. Yeah, that's some good stuff. <clears throat> All right, watch me reframe Friday the 13th from what some of you think would be bad luck into something better. Are you ready? <clears throat> How many things happened this year that were just the way you expected them? Not very many. <laughs> it's like opposite world. Yeah, we, we just spent years of investigating Trump for potential corruption with foreign countries. What did we find? We found that Joe Biden was corrupt with foreign countries. How many times have we been told one thing is true only to learn that the opposite is true. How about those vaccinations that are totally stopping the spread of the, the virus? Hmm? Pretty much the opposite of a vaccination, isn't it? As in, doesn't stop it at all. So why would Friday 13th be the only thing this year that happened just the way it was presented? No, it's probably opposite. Probably the luckiest day of the year. I have a prediction that some of you are going to have the best day you've ever had in your whole life. Because nothing is what it seems. Everything is maybe opposite. Except for the good news. Good news is always exactly what it seems. Remember, reframes don't need to make sense. (laughs) If there's one thing I can teach you, a reframe doesn't have to make logical sense. It just has to, the words just have to make sense in a sentence. And that's good enough to reprogram your brain. So that's the, the hypnotist in me teaching you that. All right, lots of fun stories, but I'd like to start with an inspirational quote uh, from Kamala Harris. And she did a little public speaking. It's always a mistake. But here's an exact quote from Kamala Harris. I think of this moment as a moment that is about great moment um. Uh, Inspired by, yes, optimism, but also inspired by, also, our collective effort to see what can be unburdened by what has been. I didn't make that up. That's a direct quote (laughs) from your next president. Maybe. All right. Here's some good news that I'd like to report. How many of you have heard me bitching about how sports are all broken? And they're broken because the sports were invented 100 years ago, and then we act like nothing changed, so we don't have to change the rules. Like tennis, for example, was completely destroyed by 
the quality of the equipment improving. So you can hit a tennis ball so quickly that you can guarantee that the other person won't enjoy playing. <laughs> guarantee. Uh, I can make the other person totally not enjoy their day. Oh, I can enjoy it because it's fun to hit really hard. So if it goes out, eh, if it goes in, I feel good. But I can make sure you don't enjoy it just by hitting the hell out of that ball. So it turns out there's somebody fixed sports at least once. Here's how they did it. They invented a new sport, and they got rid of all the stupid stuff that ruins sports. It's called pickleball. (laughs) And I was trying to understand why everybody was asking me, like everywhere, have you played pickleball? Have you played pickleball? Have you played pickleball? And I hadn't until yesterday. So yesterday, I, you know, I have a tennis court, so you can use, roughly, you could use a tennis court. You just mark out a smaller size. And so I, you know, I just hit the ball around uh, on a little bit of pickleball, and here's what I discovered. They fixed all the problems. Here, here's one of the things they fixed. A pickleball paddle is a hard paddle. You never need to, um, <clears throat> you never need to tune up your paddle. It's not like tennis where you need to fix your strings. Let, let, me, let me tell you something that only, only tennis players know. If you're like a serious weekend tennis player, uh, watch the comments and the tennis players will confirm this. Totally unexpected. The number one correlation with whether I won my tennis matches against you know, people I played with all the time or I lost was, what was the number one correlation? how recently I had strung my racket, and nothing else was even close. (laughs) There was no other factor that predicted who would win, right? Now, just watch the other tennis players. They'll tell you. You don't win, because usually you you generally pick a player who is close to your ability. And so the entire difference of who wins that day, you can play for two hours, and I can still tell you who's going to win. It's the one who got their strings... uh, changed most recently, because it makes that much difference. Now, paddle, pickleball fixed that. You never have to get it restrung. The next thing is you always have your, your tennis balls are always too new or too old. That's something else you wouldn't know if you didn't play. When you take a tennis ball out of the can, it's too new. And even a, an experienced player has trouble handling it for several minutes. And then you, you wear them out a little bit, and then they're good. But by the end of the, toward the end, they're all worn out. So they, they play completely different in the beginning than they do at the end. It's supposed to be the same sport, but it doesn't even play the same by the end of the match. So with pickleball, you're using this little hard plastic wiffle ball that's exactly the same from beginning to end. And if you didn't want to, you would never have to buy another one. You could have one, you could have one ball that lasts you the rest of your life. <laughs> If you didn't lose it. So, and then the other thing they did is that because it's a wiffle ball, when it bounces, somebody can hit, at, hit it at you pretty, pretty fast. But when it bounces, it slows down immediately and just sets up nicely so you can hit it again. Exactly where you expect it to be. A regular tennis ball doesn't even bounce the, where, to the place you expect it. That's the hardest thing about playing. Right? 
is, is the ball doesn't bounce the way you expect every time. It's different. But the pickleball will bounce the same every time. The other thing they did is that you don't have to run very much. So if you were playing somebody competitively, you'd probably get a good workout because, you know, you keep the ball in play for a long time. That's the beauty of it. And you would probably have plenty of running. But you could also play doubles with your grandfather, and your grandfather could play pickleball just fine because there's not much moving in doubles. So somebody actually, somebody actually invented a game that's perfect for this part of society. Uh, a 12-year-old could pick it up and play with a 70-year-old, and they'd both be fine. It's got a 15-minute learning curve. Just think of that. What sport has a 15-minute learning curve from never played to, oh, I can do this pretty well. I can do this as well as you can. 15 minutes. Soccer. Soccer would be great if they shortened the field, got rid of -of out-of-bounds, which you do with indoor soccer, shortened the field, fewer people, six-on-six, indoors. Now, that's a good game. That is a great game. Outdoors, some people can play. All right. Um, You might be aware that uh, I've been mocking uh, fired Twitter employees uh, because I think it's funny. Um, Because the, the, the funny thing about it is that when Elon Musk was firing people at Twitter, um... He was firing them in many cases. They had too many people. That was the big problem. But in many cases, they were, let's say, famously not hard workers. Now, I don't want to cast aspersions on every employee, obviously. Clearly, some were hard workers, and maybe others were less serious. But I've been running a series in Dilbert this week where a number of the fired employees from Twitter have gotten jobs at Dilbert's company. It's kind of perfect, isn't it? Come on, admit it. That is a perfect combination of headline with comic. All right, so here's one of them. So this is the new Dilbert employee from Twitter. And here's the joke. The ex-Twitter employee now working for Dilbert's company says, "That's that's not how we did it when I worked at Twitter. And then Dilbert says, maybe that's why Elon Musk fired you. And then he says, how long are you going to use that on me? And Dilber says, I'm thinking three to five years. Three to five years. All right, so that's all for that. Have I ever told you that I plan 60 years in advance? That's actually literally true. I, I planned my whole life. It worked out largely the way I planned it, including being a famous cartoonist, <laughs> which is weird. I mean, it was that specific. But there's one other long-range plan that I've had, which I have talked about publicly, but not for a long time. It goes like this. I believed I was born at exactly the right time in history, where if I could stay healthy into my senior years, science would figure out how to stop aging. I actually bet that if I really, really worked on keeping myself healthy and you know kept my weight and stuff under control if i could reach approximately my current age and still be healthy that i could lock it in for the rest of my life do you think that's possible do you, do you think anything like that's going to ever happen where you could just lock it in 
Well, it might be better than that. So here's a story. This is a real thing. I'm not making this up. So in a Boston lab, I guess there's some, uh, let's see, who's working on this? Reversing aging. But they, they got a big breakthrough. We've heard, we've heard this before, by the way. You're all aware that there have been breakthroughs in aging before. None of them really sounded real to me. This is the first one that's ever sounded real. And it's because of what they discovered more than how they're doing it. Right? Because I always thought to myself, can you really reverse aging? Because there's, the damage is already done, right? But apparently, this is what some Boston researchers, I think at least one person's associated with Harvard, um, but they found out that it's an information problem, not a damage problem. It's an information problem. <clears throat> In other words, your body loses the information of what, what your DNA and you know, your genetic makeup is. And once it loses the information, it doesn't know how to make a new copy. <clears throat> Here's what they discovered. There's a backup copy. <laughs> no shit. There's a backup copy. They found the backup copy. Let, let me just, <clears throat> I'm going to say that three more times. It's so mind-blowing. It's so mind-blowing. I just have to say it three times. Just, let, just indulge me. They found the backup copy. They found the backup copy. Did I mention they found the backup copy? <laughs> they, f- they figured out... Yeah, I don't think it's in the stem cell necessarily. I, I don't know the answer where it was. But they, they can actually... Uh, they can take a mouse that's old and they can restore its eyesight by making it younger. They can restore its muscles. They can restore its brain. Its brain. <laughs> they, not, not only can they restore it, they've experimented going both directions. They can make, they can make the mouse older, intentionally, and they can make it younger, intentionally. Now, what, you, what you're usually thinking in these cases, right, is, okay, a lot of stuff works on mice, and even though mice are you know, 90, 98% similar DNA to humans, that 2% is a really big difference when it comes to estimating what will, will happen. There's a reason you go from mice to monkeys to humans. You've got to test them all. The mice aren't going to tell it. But... Suppose it's true that in humans as well, it's an information problem and there's a backup copy. Because that appears to be the case with the mice. It's just an information problem and they found the backup copy. If they do that with humans, there, there's... I hate to say it's common sense because common sense is totally magical thinking and confirmation bias. But it seems to me that if it's an information problem, and this is a big leap, I know, there's a greater likelihood it would work in humans without bad effect. Does that make sense? It's not like they're introducing a, a chemical necessarily that's you know changing the nature of your DNA or something. If the only thing they do is find the backup copy and you know 
restore it? I wonder who we might actually be able to change aging. Do you know that big problem of the demographic bubble? It's going to get worse, (laughs) but maybe better. Because maybe you take a bunch of 70-year-olds and you say, oh, no, if we make you all live to 100, we're not going to have enough money to survive. But instead you say, hey, you're 75 years old, you used to be retired, but now we're going to make you feel like you're 25 years old. If you want, go back to work. And people say, oh, okay, I feel good, I'll go back to work. But the, the way that things could play out in the next 50 years are so unpredictable. If you add AI and immortality and robots and space travel, <laughs> how do you predict anything? There's literally nothing you can predict anymore. All right, uh, there's a company called... I've, I wrote about this in my book, Loser Think. There's a company called Climeworks, C-L-I-M-E. Climeworks, all one word. And they, they're in production now with a, uh, a carbon-sucking um, machine. So it sucks carbon out of the air, and they store it underground. Now... What is the first thing you'd say about a thing like that that couldn't possibly be cost-effective, right? It takes a whole bunch of energy. You know, that's a bad thing to need. So you've got to use a lot of energy to suck it out of the sky, but there's no way it can be economical. They found a way to make it economical. <laughs> that's a big deal. And the way they did it is they, uh, the, there are such things as carbon credits and they're big companies that can't reach their carbon, let's say, goals. So a company like Microsoft will say, oh, damn, you know, we can't really be Microsoft and not meet our climate change goals. Right? That's just too politically, employee-wise, it just is a bad look. So Microsoft will go to a company like this and say, what's it going to cost me to pay you some money to remove some uh, carbon that I can claim because I paid the money. So you don't have to do it yourself. You could just be the one that causes it to happen and get some kind of carbon credit. So Microsoft goes to them and says, what's it cost to remove a bunch of carbon so I can meet my goals? And they they give them a price, and then what does Microsoft say? Holy what? (laughs) You're going to charge that much? That's insane. That's That's like 100 times more than I think it's worth. And then what do they do? then they pay it. Then they pay it, because they don't have another choice. (laughs) Because not meeting their climate goals would just be so terrible. And Microsoft is so big that they can overpay by 100 times on some smaller part of their their, uh, financial statement. And it still makes sense, because they're they're not really buying a better climate. They're buying um, reputation. And so this company allows you to buy reputation. At the same time, you might be doing something good for the climate. They actually solve the economics. <laughs> Do you know what a big deal that is? <laughs> it's, it's almost incalculable in terms of what a big deal that could be. Yeah. It, could make, you know, it could make it completely practical to do... Uh, this technology. Now, you remember, I I think this is still in place, but didn't Elon Musk offer uh, some kind of X prize 
for whoever comes up with the best carbon capture um, technology. So this company is using the technology probably at least part since 2009. That's when they started, around then. So they've been in business for a long time, and it takes a long time to build the assets. So they're probably, just guessing, five to ten years behind the technology curve. Because at some point, you just have to build what is available. You can't wait forever. It takes a few years to build it. So you're always, you're always behind technology by the time you're done. Yeah. No, I, I, I see the comments. I understand that it's ESG. But um, the, the carbon credit part, if that's, if that's the only part and big companies just buy their way out of it, it might turn into something good. Good. Now, you could argue that there's no reason to do it and they'll suck all the carbon out of the air and all your plants will die. But I feel like, I feel like the Adam's Law of slow-moving disasters is working perfectly for climate change. Because one of two things is going to happen. We're either going to find out it was never real. <laughs> and totally possible. No, I'm, I'm still going to call... I still want to kill ESG, but I don't think you need ESG to have a climate um, objective. I think the companies just do that on their own at this point because it looks good. I don't think they need ESG to be driving it. So I think you can separate those two things. All right. Um, here is the least surprising news item you'll ever hear. ABC is reporting that climate change is causing heart attacks. Can you, can you all join me in a long, sarcastic sigh? Because sometimes words, words don't really capture what you're thinking, right? Uh, I'd like to lead you all in a long sigh about ABC reporting that climate change is causing heart attacks. At this time, at this very interesting time, Of course they are. (laughs) Of course they are. But here's the interesting thing. They might have data to back it. (laughs) Apparently it's a thing. Apparently it's a thing. So they they believe they found correlation between uh, excess heat and, and athletes dying suddenly from heart attacks. Turns out they claim that the athletes keeling over with heart attacks are far more likely to happen in these unusually hot um, places. Do you believe that? (laughs) That's a little hard to believe. But um, I would like to refer to you to the Cheryl Law of Restaurants. The Cheryl Law of Restaurants is that as soon as anything changes in the environment, people stop going to the restaurant for a while. So if, so if it gets really warm outside, like the weather's really nice, for a few weeks, people stop going to restaurants. If it rains, people stop going to restaurants until it stops. If it's tax day, people stop going to restaurants. <laughs> Basically, anything that changes makes people stop their behavior and what happens when people change their behavior? Stress. Right? 
So it's also a thing that whenever there's any big change in society that's you know, disruptive to us mentally as well as physically, people have more heart attacks. Basically, everything that's a big change causes heart attacks. And so one expert I told you about already said that the pandemic itself and the lockdowns should create a lot of heart attacks. It's exactly what you should see, a lot of unexplained heart attacks. So uh, I'm not going to be the one that tells you that the vaccinations are completely safe because nobody ever thought that. Even, even people in favor of it knew that there was risk involved. For some people, for sure. So it does, even to me, and I, you know, I'm trying to remain skeptical as long as possible, it does look to me like the myocarditis is not entirely environmentally caused. <laughs> Can we agree? It sure doesn't look like it. Does everybody agree with that statement? You know, we could all be surprised by data being misleading. But it sure looks like something's going on. So I agree with you on how it feels, and I agree with how it looks. Now, what happens when somebody like Lisa Marie Presley dies, unfortunately, at 51? What was she, 54? She was early 50s, right? And she died of heart attack. Now, she also had a history, 54 years old, okay. She also had a history of drugs. And if you see any picture of her, she does not look like, you know, a healthy person. So if you're going to pick somebody to have a heart attack, you know, she'd be on your short list, I think, even, even, at, even at her age. So, of course, we all will uh, jump to conclusions about what killed her. Um, I'm sure it was climate change. Just kidding. All right. Um, oh, it's all, believe it or not, it's also true that uh, pharmaceutical medicines can work differently in high heat. I think it's true, or at least it's reported. Let's, let's, let's assume that everything could be sketchy, so we won't assume it's true. But they actually have some indication, maybe shorter proof, but they have some indication that a, uh, a medication that was really good for you will kill you above a certain temperature outdoors. <laughs> if you're active, I guess. Not, not if you just walk outdoors. But, I don't know, does that sound true? I don't know, maybe. I saw a tweet by Antonio Guterres, who claims that the past eight years were the warmest on record globally. And, you know, therefore, blah, blah, blah. Now, what is left out of that? Well, I'm not sure, because I don't believe anything about data and temperature. But I just saw a claim the other day that 2022 set no records. Could they both be true? Could it be true that 2022 set no weather records, while at the same time uh, the past eight years were the warmest on record globally? Because that is a record. So we've got one person saying no records were set, and another one saying, yep, we just set a record for the, the eight hottest years. Yeah. Both could be true-ish. Could be true-ish. But you see the problem, right? Now, um, there, there's a class of people on Twitter 
who really, really like to argue the technical, factual accuracy of statements that really should not be analyzed for exact technical accuracy. This is one of them. (laughs) If you're nickel and diming me about the words or really talking about two different things, I get it. I get it. They were talking about two slightly different things, but it is nonetheless true that you either set a record or you didn't. You know, that's kind of binary. But here's my larger point. Can you trust anything on records and weather? I don't think so. Um, let me do something that confuses the clotbirds. I'm going to say something that sounds like I'm disagreeing with my own, let's say, team. Because I, 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 I roughly identify with a group of people who have similar, similar opinions. So now I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to criticize an argument by my own team. Here's the worst skeptical argument about climate. This is the worst one. It used to be warmer, and there used to be more CO2, which are different points, because the points are that it used to be warmer at lower CO2, and there used to be more CO2 at lower temperatures. So if you look back in history, you, know, you can see that uh, what we're claiming today doesn't make sense. Um, <laughs> the Nickelback theory of, of uh, deaths. All right. Um, so here, here's why those arguments are the worst. All right. I'm not talking about the last 20 years. If you're talking about, if you're debating the last 20 years, that, that's probably fair. But if you go back to like uh, the early days of the planet, and you say, well, in the early days of the planet... We had uh, way more CO2. Does everybody know why that argument doesn't make sense? Are you all aware of why that's a debunked argument? Because if you go back far enough, uh, there were other things that were different. For example, the intensity of the sun was different. The composition of the atmosphere was different. So if you go back far enough, it doesn't matter what the CO2 was. That doesn't tell you anything because everything else was different. Does that make sense? If everything was the same, except for the CO2, then that might tell you something. But if everything was different in the past, including CO2, then there's nothing about the CO2 that tells you anything. Too many, too many variables. And that's, that's the case. Yeah, the sun, the sun was different, different intensity, just everything was different. Um, however, if you want to make the argument that the, um, the alarmists have been wrong for 50 years, <laughs> Daniel says incorrect. No, Daniel. The word incorrect means that you're incorrect. And the word wrong means that you're wrong. Because if I, if I were wrong, you'd give me a reason. Wouldn't you? I think you would. Yeah, yeah there were differences in how many plants there were, all kinds of differences. So if you're going to use the past to make your argument, I'd use the last 50 years, but I wouldn't use thousands of years ago. That's a bad argument. Does anybody, anybody agree? Because you can still be super skeptical on climate change, but don't use the historical 
you know, middle, the, uh, what do we use, the, the dark ages and, and shit? Just ignore all that. And I, I don't really believe we can tell the temperature even 50 years ago, frankly. You know, Tony Heller is back on, uh, on Twitter. <laughs> Does everybody remember Tony Heller? He's the most prolific uh, data skeptic about climate change. Now, he goes after the data. He says, this data is incorrect, and he gives his reasons. Now, I spent a lot of time interacting with his material, and I came to the following conclusion. I don't know if, uh, you know, I can't judge all of it, but there were enough things there that were clearly wrong in my subjective opinion that I discounted everything else he said. Because unfortunately, even if you're right about a bunch of stuff, if you also say a bunch of stuff that is clearly not true, then I discount all the rest. But it doesn't mean it's not true. I mean, I have a feeling he's got some good points in there. It's just you can't tell which ones, because some of them clearly don't look true to me. Just, you know, you can just almost tell what's wrong with them by looking at them. Now, he does a lot of analysis on a lot of different things. Is there any chance he could be right about any of it? Or, I'm sorry, is there any chance he could be right about all of it? Because he makes a lot of claims. Not really. There's nobody who could be right about a lot of claims on sketchy data. Nobody could do that. Is he right about some of it being a lie or misleading? Almost certainly true. Some of it. I just don't know if it's important. But what's interesting is that he was completely suppressed by the uh, platforms. When he's not suppressed, and he's back on Twitter quite active, he does move the, he moves the ball. <laughs> he actually changes the whole argument, in my opinion, because he always presents graphics and, and data. He always shows his work. And what have I told you about a documentary? All documentaries are persuasive, even if they're lies. They're really persuasive, because you don't see the other side. When Tony Heller does his presentations, they are super persuasive. Persuasion-wise, he's a champion. He's really persuasive. But what he isn't, necessarily, is credible enough that I can accept his his more extreme claims. But he's really interesting. I'm kind of glad he's back, frankly. I, I like the fact that he makes everybody answer, answer to his claims. And, and you should also know that there are people who make a job of debunking him and do a good job. So if you were to look, just Google his name and Google the word debunk, which is a good thing to do, by the way, you're going to see a lot of his claims allegedly debunked. But can you believe the debunker? What do you think? Can you believe the debunker, no matter who it is? doesn't matter who it is. Can you believe them? No. No. Because <laughs> they only show one side. Everybody who's just saying one side, you don't believe any of them. They're, they're advocates. Now, if the debunker said, and I don't believe this has ever happened, but if the debunker said, you know, i got to admit, 40% of the things he says, they check out. But, you, you know, be careful, because 60% doesn't. I would believe that debunker. I would immediately say, oh, that's the first credible person I've heard because they're saying some true, some not. That feels like a fair, 
analysis. Because there's no way he's wrong about everything. Right? I mean, he produces a lot of content. He's not wrong about everything. <laughs> that, that would be almost impossible. Because, you know, he puts a lot of intellectual rigor in it, whether it's right or wrong. So, anyway, um, if we can't predict... Uh, here's my point. I don't believe we can even agree what the weather was recently. True or false? We have trouble agreeing what the weather was, even recently. How the hell are we going to predict the weather in 80 years? <laughs> now, who predicted that Climeworks would find a, a model that works? Who predicted that Elon Musk would offer an X prize for carbon capture? I mean, there's just so much that's going to be different. All right. Um, so what about those uh, gas ovens? I, there's a whole bunch of confusion about whether the Democrats really wanted to take away your gas oven or did they really want to just ban the future ones uh, or was it all made up? I can't even tell. I'm not even sure it matters. But is it perfect that they're actually gaslighting us? That's a little too perfect, isn't it? It's literally gas light. <laughs> I mean, it's less about the light, but it's more about the gas. And it's just too weird. It's just built into the name there. Um, all right. So I guess our, our gas ovens might be uh, killing us and the and, of course, climate change might be killing us, but not those vaccinations, damn it, that you call jabs. Couldn't be that. Couldn't be that. Let me ask you a question. Regardless of how much damage is or is not done by the jabs themselves, would you agree with the following statement? there is a mass hysteria going on right now about the side effects of the jabs. Even if it's true. Like, even if some of the data is alarming and true. Wouldn't you say that there's a mass hysteria at the same time? I'm saying more yes than no's. Because, that, because it could be true at its base, but also blown up into something a little bit bigger than that. To me, it looks like at the very least, it's a mass hysteria. So I, I'm going to say the one thing that I am sure of at this point is that some percentage of it is mass hysteria. Because that's what gets you to talk about... I mean, Lisa Marie Presley was not a healthy-looking person. Not healthy-looking, and she had a history of drug abuse. Uh, you know, if you see that one, and you see the football player and your anecdotes, which actually might be, it might be exactly what you think they are. I'm not, I'm not eliminating that. I just think it's obvious at this point we've also reached a hysteria. Even if there's something at the base of it. And at this point, I'm leaning toward yes. In case you're wondering. Um, I'm leaning toward, they're just, you know, the signals are so big, and the uh, pharma companies appear to have been lying to us now, I heard, I heard a hypothesis from uh, uh, Dyson. Who's the, what's the name of the uh, 
astrophysicist Dyson. What's his first name? He's got like a three-name name. Give me his name. Neil... Neil Dyson. Neil Freeman Dyson. Okay. <laughs> I always get his name wrong. Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Neil deGrasse. All right, sorry. I apologize to Neil for um, butchering his name. So he had a theory that uh, I thought I heard on the podcast that goes like this. Do you remember when the, uh, the claim was that the vaccinations were like 100% effective in stopping the spread? You all remember that, right? It's hard to forget. And then it turned out not even close. Closer to zero <laughs> yeah, in time. Now, here was his explanation that I had not heard before. And I'm not going to... And for the Klopberts, I'm going to describe what he said, which is different from me agreeing with it. You get that? But I'd never heard this explanation. And the explanation was that when alpha was essentially the the primary thing they were looking at, it might be true that the original uh, original vaccination, it might be true that if the only thing out there was alpha, it might have actually stopped the transmission. And that might be what they tested. But since since the virus was mutating quickly... The, the, a vaccination has to be sort of perfect for the virus because a virus will mutate out of, you know, away from the vaccine so quickly that it's, it, it's as if there was no immunity at all. So could both of those things be true? That in a, a weird little technical, very temporary time in space, it was 100% effective but within minutes, it was zero effective. I'm going to say minutes just to make the point. True? Because I do think if they knew exactly what the virus was, they could make a vaccine. So that's the fact check. Could you make a vaccine for this if the virus never mutated? I think the answer is yes. I think the answer is yes. And I believe the reason that... um, the researchers said they'd never be able to make a vaccine is because of the mutation. I don't believe ever, anybody ever said, if this virus never changes, we can't make a vaccination. Because I think if it never changes, they can. So I'm not making a claim. Um, it's more of a question. But could that explain why, why the pharma companies were claiming it was 100% effective because remember, it wasn't just the pharma companies. You know, it was other people involved, and they were making the same claim. So here's what I think. Here's, here's my uh, current assumption. Would you agree with the following statement, that the pharma companies were using motivated analysis? In other words, they had to analyze, analyze all this data, but they were motivated by their own objectives, and so they kind of saw what they wanted to see. And even if they knew they should have looked around the corner, they didn't. It looks like a motivated analysis. Right? Now, when I say motivated, that still leaves some wiggle room about whether there was intent. So I'm not saying, <clears throat> I'm not saying there was illegal intent. There might have been. I wouldn't rule it out. 
because so much money was involved, there might have been evil intent. But there, there, is, there is a thin explanation that doesn't require anybody to have evil intention. And my problem with this all along is that so many people were involved, it would be hard to imagine they all had financial intention. But they all had motivated reasoning. They all had motivated reasoning. Uh, they wanted it to work. They wanted to be heroes. They wanted to report it worked. And everybody wanted the pandemic to end. So I think it was just wishful thinking that blinded them to the obvious fact that they should have mentioned the moment this thing uh, mutates, the virus, the vaccine won't work. So all of these people, by not telling us directly, this is what they all should have said in retrospect, right? Hindsight. Hindsight makes us all brilliant. But in hindsight, you wish they had said, our test shows it really worked on uh, Alpha, but we don't think Alpha is going to last long. What do you think? I think that's what they should have said. Because everybody who worked on these respiratory viruses, I believe every one of them knew that if it, if it, if it mutated, the vaccine wouldn't work. They were just hoping it would. They were sort of hoping that if it didn't, if it didn't mutate too fast and it didn't mutate too much, you might be able to you know, get some purchase on it. But that was motivated thinking. There, there was nothing to suggest that that was going to happen. That was just like optimism or something. I don't know. So for sure, we know that they told us things that were not true. For sure, we know that they, meaning pharma and the governments, told us things that they should have known. They should have known were not true. That's where the crime is. If, if there is a crime, that's where it would be. Would you agree? Or do you, or do you believe that they all knew and they were just playing it for the money? Like hundreds of thousands of researchers were all in on it. There probably were a lot of people in on it, but I don't think all of them. Um, my assumption that they knew it would mutate. 100% of the people that I heard ever talk about it said that. All of them. They all knew. They all knew because they've been trying for years to make a vaccine, and the reason it didn't work, it was always the same reason, because it mutated, right? They all knew that. Everybody in the business knew it. We, we didn't know it, maybe. I think even I knew that. <laughs> Thomas Massey makes a good point, as he often does. Um, so, you know, you can't sue a vaccine maker because they have special protection. So if a company makes a vaccine, can't sue them if it goes wrong. But what if they tell you they're making a vaccine and it doesn't stop any transmission and they probably knew it? Is that a vaccine? Mm, I'd say no. And so therefore I'd say, if it's not a vaccine, then you can sue them. You can sue them twice. Once for saying it's a vaccine when it's not, and once because if somebody got harmed and they didn't have full information. But the CDC apparently evolved their definition of a vaccine during the process. 
So if you were a vaccine, you couldn't be sued, but then they made something that wasn't protective of transmission. And the definition said protective of transmission. So they changed the definition to match what it was doing, which was protecting people from bad outcomes. And then what if it didn't do that? (laughs) I'm not sure that's the case. But what if it didn't? So I think Thomas Massey has a real good argument that I would love to see taken to the Supreme Court. If, if If it's only legal because it's a vaccine by a definition, and then somebody that you're colluding with, yes, colluding with, the CDC, if the people you're colluding with change the definition so you stay legal, is that cool? Is that cool? I don't think so. I think I want to see the Supreme Court work that out. It's not obvious to me if that's necessarily illegal. It's sketchy as all hell. But I'd like to see it. Well, yeah. I don't know if lying is always illegal, though. Yeah, by the time the vax arrived, the the original strain was already dying out. That is correct. Um, I would like to uh, reiterate something I say once in a while, but it's important again. Uh, I put this under the category of youthful dumbassery. Was anyone smart when they were young? Was anybody a genius until they were 25 and then they turned dumb? Like, I don't think so. So why do we judge people by what they said in college? So there's another uh, situation, and I'm not going to name a name. The reason I'm not going to name a name, there's somebody who's getting some trouble for something they said at college, is that I don't think it's fair. So don't even Google it. Do me a favor. If you're, like, curious, who are you talking about? Who is this? Don't even Google it. Because we should not be judging people by what they did in college. You know, unless it's Greta, (laughs) right? (laughs) Because she was in college when she was doing it. Uh, Or she was that age. So without naming who it was, there's some some other person who said something uh, super inappropriate that may or may not have been in an academic you know, making a point kind of context, but it doesn't matter. Just whatever they said under the age of 25, just let it go. If people never improved, then yes, you should judge them by what they said in college. But if you know that 100% of people or something close to it evolve, you know, we evolve into something different. Might be better, might be worse, but it's a different. So why would you judge somebody today by what a different person did? You know, somebody whose brain wasn't developed. Anyway, I like to say that once in a while. Now, there's been a lot of negativity in the news, and I thought today, especially because it's Friday the 13th, you needed some positivity. Would anybody like some positivity? Because it's all this negative stuff. Yeah. yeah, you need some. So I made a little list. I tweeted out earlier of some positivity. So on one hand, the COVID jabs are, looks like they're going to be super overpriced. Super overpriced in in the context of we already have inflation, and then these shot these jabs are going to go to like four hundred percent what they used to be, etc. Um, but on the plus side, apparently you don't need them, so it doesn't really matter what it costs if you don't need it. 
Now, I'm, I'm not giving you medical advice. You're not getting any medical advice from me. I'm not telling you not to take it. I'm just saying it's literally true that the price is going up 400% at the time that the utility is down about 1,000%. <laughs> so if the price is going up as the usefulness is dropping like a rock, I don't know that that's entirely bad news. I don't care what it costs because I'm never going to get it. <laughs> Backpedaling. I'd like to ask you, Coach. Let me ask. I'm going to talk to Coach here. Coach, uh, what I like to do is uh, base my decisions on the knowledge that I have. And then if, if the data changes or we learn more, sometimes I will modify my opinion to fit the new data which refuted my old opinion. Now... I know that you call that flip-flopping and backpedaling and walking it back, but I'm a little bit curious how you play it. When you have an opinion and then the information is updated to show that your original opinion makes you look like uh, a monkey, do you say to yourself, you know, I was pretty comfortable with looking like a monkey. I I think I'll ride that horse. Monkey horse, got too many metaphors in there. But do you, do you keep your opinion just the same? Or do you say, and, and I, I'm, I'll bet you do this, Coach. I, I feel like you're this kind of person. I think you're the kind of person who can go into a fog of war where none of the data is reliable and you can have certainty from the first moment. And then, based on that certainty it really wouldn't matter how much the information changed. You could keep that same opinion because you were certain even when there was no information. So, is that, Coach, is that how you play it? Because, you know, there are a lot of us who are playing it the dumb old way where if the data changes, we'll update our opinions, but not you. No, no. You've got a progressive kind of a clobber kind of opinion where... The change in the data should not have any difference to your opinion. Yeah. You could, it, it, it's cheating, as somebody says. Yeah, it's cheating to, to update your opinion with new information. I hate to do that. All right. Here's some uh, more positivity. If you have a son who's a little bit too rambunctious in the old days, what could you do about it? Nothing. I mean, I guess in the old, old days, you could like use corporal punishment. But, you know, you can't do that anymore. So what could you do? If you had a rambunctious son, there's nothing you do. But now, on the plus side, you can legally remove their balls. Uh, I'm no doctor, but I think that calms them down. That'll settle you down a little bit. Now, you can't remove their balls um, unless they want, it, want you to, right? Even though they're children, they still get a vote. So you can't really go to your son and say, hey, I was was thinking of removing your balls and transitioning you to a woman uh, because it would be easier for me. Um, Now, the kid might say, whoa, 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 I'm totally a boy, and I have no interest whatsoever in transitioning. But here's the good part. Children can be hypnotized really easily. It's a real thing. When you learn to be a hypnotist, one of the things you learn is children... You don't even have to work at it. <laughs> you, you, you could say two sentences and make a kid hallucinate. It's very easy. 
So you can convince your child of really anything. Children are sort of a blank slate. You, you can just work on them. So if, you're, if your son is too rambunctious, uh, even though it would be totally unethical, um, you could probably convince him to have his bowls removed if you worked at it long enough. So that's the good news. Um, here's some more good news. Things could be much worse. Things could be much worse. For example, you could live in Canada. I mean, it could be worse. could be worse. Uh, number four, uh, again, in the context of um, inflation, wouldn't you like to know that some prices are coming down? And they are. And they are. For example, fentanyl, um, because of supply and demand, the supply is through the roof. So the price of fentanyl, totally reasonable. And nobody, nobody talks about that. That's good for inflation. I don't think when they calculate the inflation, they include the price of fentanyl. If they did, I think it would look a lot better. Look a lot better. Um, bad news. Here's some more good news. Do you remember when bad news used to be all there was on the news? Like if there was something bad happening, you turn on the news, you look, oh, it's like a fire hose, all this bad news coming at me. But now... Fully 50% of all the bad political news is suppressed. Well, that's an upgrade. You only have to hear half of the bad news. It's all about Republicans. But all of the bad news about Democrats, suppressed. You never even have to see it. And that feels good. That's like a... It's better than that um, Andrew Huberman uh, breathing technique. It just makes you feel good. Um... And then, uh, of course, um, some of you were worried about some of our national secrets getting out because you heard about Mar-a-Lago. You know, Mar-a-Lago, well, maybe, maybe those national secrets might get out. So. But um, these days, much better situation. So we don't have Mar-a-Lago. Now we have Car-a-Lago. Car-a-Lago. That was Jesse Waters' joke. It was pretty good. Um, Car-a-Lago. And our nation's secrets are safe uh, in the bins next to uh, Joe's Corvette in his garage. So that's a lot of good news, and people don't report the good news. And I, I feel that that's, uh, that's good. Now, um, do you think that the headlines are all organic, or do you think that we're always being played? <laughs> what do you think? Do you think our headlines are organic? Or are we always being played? You're always being played. Yeah. That, because the headlines could be anything. The headlines about any politician could be positive or negative. could be anything. So whoever chooses the headlines, you know, they're, they're presenting a narrative. Interestingly, here's a pro-vaccine story, but not about COVID. Not about COVID. So Wall Street Journal has a pro-vaccine story about the uh, HPV vaccine, which they say has uh, been a big part of dropping uh, U.S. cancer mortality by, by a pretty you know, big uh, amount, like down by a third or something. And um, it's because uh, the vaccine. Do you see it? Let me ask you this. 
would there have been a pro-vaccine story if we were not questioning the vaccinations about COVID? Isn't it interesting that there would be this totally unrelated story that just, it just happens to highlight the magical abilities of vaccinations? At just the time the, the public is starting to question the value of the COVID vaccinations, huh, the Wall Street Journal has a nice pro-vaccination story. Just a coincidence? Uh, maybe. Maybe, but maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah, it's plausible that it's a coincidence. That is plausible. But in today's environment, it's a little harder to assume that that's the case, right? Um, but I'm glad cancer's down. Um, there's been a special, special counsel has been exi- um, named to look into uh, the, the news that uh, Joe Biden has a bunch of, a bunch of several cases of uh, confidential information. Two for sure, maybe some third one. And so they got a special counsel to look into that. Um, my biggest problem with the special counsel is I don't know this person's pronouns. And it's a little confusing because the person's name is Robert Hur, spelled H-U-R. I think his pronouns are him and her, H-U-R. That's the way I'd go. I'd go with my pronouns are him and her. Yeah, that's how I'd go. But we don't know. Um, and I also asked myself if uh, Robert Her married uh, Dean Kane's sister. I don't know if he has a sister, and I don't know if her last name would be Kane if she's single. But it's funny. Just go with this. Uh, and they hyphenated the names of the kids. They would be uh, uh, Hurricane, Hurricane. And I wondered what would be the f- the funniest first name to go with a with a last name of Hurricane. I was thinking Wendy. Wendy. How's that Hurricane? Well, it's pretty Wendy. It's pretty Wendy out there in that Hurricane. Yeah. Or how about? Uh, I'm a, yeah, I'm a, I'm a hurricane, yeah. Killer, storm, stormy, stormy hurricane. There you go, stormy Daniels, stormy hurricane. Camille, yeah. Okay, Kansas, I don't think Betsy's that, why do people say Betsy? Is that funny? Herder, <laughs> herder. All right, well, Robert Herr is going to look into it. Um, And so that should take care of it, right? The good news is that an objective person has been put in charge so that we can... What? He's not? What? Oh, according to Cash Patel, uh, Robert Herr is a, quote, swamp monster who was uh, involved with uh, the Russia collusion hoax. (laughs) Literally the worst person in the world to be in charge of this. <laughs> the worst person. Okay. Now, the left says that this person was appointed by Trump. Isn't this sort of normal to have lower-level people approved by a president and the president has no idea who they are? They could be the other party. I mean, it's lower-level people. It doesn't matter, does it? Isn't it common for people to get nominated who are not necessarily your same party. So I don't think that means anything. 
But it does look like the fix is in, and he looks like he'll be the fixer for this. Do you remember I was telling you that it looks like the Democrats are trying to take Biden out with this document thing? Do you remember me saying that? And I even put a hashtag conspiracy theory, because when I said it, I thought, okay, I, I know I'm, I'm going a little too far here. So I called it out as my own conspiracy theory. And then I turned on Tucker Carlson, and he says it directly. <laughs> he just says it directly. Um, so it does look like the Democrats are trying to take Biden out. It actually does look like that. Now, that doesn't mean it's true, but that hypothesis uh, fits everything we see. The other hypothesis is it's just business as normal, so you have the other possibility. Um, but I ask this question. Can documents be fingerprinted? Because wouldn't you want to know who's touched those confidential documents? Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> and doesn't that make a, a big difference? What, what if you see Hunter's fingerprints on him? That's a problem. Do you think Hunter's fingerprints will be on any of those documents? I know. There, there was a reason that they were not where they were supposed to be. Maybe it's an accident. Maybe not. We'll see. But, uh, but here's what I would look for. If they do not fingerprint the documents, the fix is in. What, can you agree on that? If they don't fingerprint the documents, then you can know for sure that it's just a cover-up operation. Right? If they do fingerprint them, you, you can still wonder if they told you the truth. But if they do fingerprint them, and they find you know, Hunter's fingerprints on them, then I'd be willing, you know, just as one example, it could be someone else, but I'd be willing to say, oh, that looks like they might actually be serious about this, which would also suggest the Democrats are out to get rid of Biden. Here's my take on Biden. I think that Biden was helped into his election by lots of powerful people behind the scenes, and then he came to believe that the job was his, and it was totally up to him whether he runs for re-election. So he said, yeah, I'm going to run for re-election. I don't believe that the people who installed him are necessarily on the same team. And I think they might need to take him out because he's an old man who just claims he should stay. So um, you, have you noticed that even CNN is creating this... Is, is, CNN is treating the uh, Biden documents like it's as important as Mar-a-Lago, and it's the top story. It's actually their top story. An anti-Democrat story. CNN's top story. Does that mean that CNN has successfully pivoted to the middle, at least on this story, or does it mean that we're, the signal is that the Democrats need to get rid of Biden? It doesn't mean they had a meeting and they colluded. It could be just everybody's on the same page so they all know what to do. Yeah. It does. It's a little bit suspicious. I would expect CNN to do a whole bunch more of minimizing it, and they're not. They're actually maximizing it. So it does look like the fix is in but not necessarily. 
All right, there's not much to be said about the fact that the documents were in a garage parked next to a car. <laughs> you know, we can make all the jokes about how secure that was or wasn't, whatever. Um, here's a story that might be fake, but it might be fake and also tell us something. So I'm going to say the odds of this being true are low, but the odds of it meaning something important are very high. And what I saw was just one social media account, uh, so it's not, it's not in the regular news. So at the moment, the regular news is not reporting this, so it might not be true. But uh, there are Wagner soldiers who videotaped what they claim are captured Ukrainian drones that are clearly outfitted for chemical warfare, meaning they have tanks on them that obviously are meant to hold a, a chemical or a gas. They, they wouldn't have any other reason to be there. And there's a bunch of them. It's like a room full of drones, small ones, that have been modified to carry some kind of a gas canister. Now, the Wagner group claims you know, that they've been used. Now, here's the thing. Do you believe the Wagner group? No. No. No, you shouldn't believe anything that comes out of Ukraine. But here's the only thing I wonder. Were the drones real? Do you think they faked it by making a whole room full of drones that have canisters attached? Because that would be a lot of, a lot of work. If you, were good, if you were planning to fake it, how many do you need? You only need one. You literally just need one, because it would be just as convincing as a roomful. Because if you saw one and you believed it was real, you'd think there were more. You, know, you would never believe there was only one. So if it were fake, they only need to show you one. Now, I believe it is fake, but maybe not for the reasons that the drones are not real. It could be fake in the sense that it's Wagner's own drones. It could be that the Wagner group is the one with making the gas drones, and since they're definitely going to get caught, what they did was say, oh, look at these Ukrainians. So if you ever see one, the first time you ever find one on a, you know, that crashed, you're going to say, oh, the Wagner group warned us about this. These are those Ukrainian drones. So this could be the Wagner group getting in front of a story they know is going to break, the sooner or later, somebody's going to find a drone with a canister on it. And so they're making the case that it's the other guys before it happens. That's what it looks like. But there's a bigger question. If those drones are real, and again, I don't know why you would have so many of them. If you're going to fake it, you don't need that many. It would be a weird way to fake it. If those are real, that's what's coming. And... You know, my book, The Religion War, written in 2003, I think, predicted this. And it's predicted based on the following technology predictions. That drones would be widespread uh, and, and hobby-sized. That, you know, regular people could get a drone that could do a lot of stuff. So that I predicted in 2003. That came true. The other thing I predicted is that because the drone won't be able to carry a lot of weight, it's going to want to use weapons that don't weigh much. And the ultimate weapon that doesn't weigh much is gas. So it almost, it's almost guaranteed that somebody's going to use these for 
you know, crop dusting their enemies. <laughs> uh, so it's coming. You know, whether these are real or not, it's definitely coming. And what do you think would be our response if, if our homeland were attacked by chemical weapons and drones? And let's say it happened more than once. It looked like there was nothing we could do to stop it. What would we do? What would the United States do if we knew the drones were coming from a specific country and, and they just kept coming? And imagine what that would do to our cities. Like, people wouldn't go outdoors. They'd stop commuting. I mean, it would just wreak havoc. There's only one thing we would do. We would pave that country. And, that, and that's what my book was about. We will, in all likelihood, there will be drones that terrorists use with chemical weapons. In all likelihood. And if they do it more than once, and it becomes like a pattern, we won't be able to find the specific terrorists, probably. We're going to just take out the whole country. And we, we just might not have any other choice, because we wouldn't be able to live with it. And we would do whatever it took. And it would be genocide. It would be pure genocide. So that's, what, that's the uh, setup in the book. The book is what happens when genocide is the only solution. What happens when it's the only solution? I hate to use that word solution because that, you know, for obvious reasons. But do you think that that's likely? Do you think it's likely that that kind of a weapon will come to our shores in, in numbers? And is it likely that we would respond in any other way than just eliminating buildings in the country? We would just make sure everybody had to live outdoors. I think we just eliminate it. Yeah, we get it. <laughs> yeah, we get it. Um, is it genocide if it's self-defense? Yeah, it would be, because it would be genocide against 99.9999% innocent people. Depends on the president? I don't think so. See, that, that's the hard part. I don't think it depends who's in charge, because they'll only have one choice, eventually. That's not woke. Send in those robot soldiers. <laughs> All right. That's enough for today. I'm going to go do something else. I think you'd agree. This is the best live stream you've seen so far today. And uh, it's only going to get better. And remember, everything that you've been told is backwards, including Friday the 13th. It's a good luck day. It's a good luck day. Go out and get yourself some good luck. And bye for now, YouTube. I'm going to talk to the subscribers for a little bit on Locals because they're special. Bye for now.